You're listening to The Soccer Show, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic on 1077 The Franchise. Howard gratefully claims it. Distribution, brilliant. Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey's denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Sadly through. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! A memorable World Cup for the United States has come and gone. Unfortunately, I don't know if four years from now when we regroup, there'll be great moments, unless we're clipping from the Tyler Adams press conference pre-Iran. <laughs> they didn't really deliver those moments, but that's okay. We will unpack it all here on the Soccer Show 1077 The Franchise, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. I'm Ryan Chapman, joined as always by Todd Lizby. Todd, good to be back in the same room. No doubt. Yeah, we've been uh, in opposite locations for a couple weeks now off yeah. and on, right? Yeah, we've, we've been avoiding each other. We've been avoiding each other for good luck, and now that the arts are out... There is no more good luck to preserve. Maddie Goldfish, Matt Goldbranson doing an amazing job keeping us on air as always. Can I ask you a question before we go any further? Sure. Who, now that the U.S. men's national team is out, of the eight remaining, are you throwing your allegiance to? Yeah, so as we've talked about before, Go Go USA is number one. I always rooted for Belgium. Right. They did not do anything. We'll get into that, I'm sure, at some point. So, uh, of the crew left, you've got Croatia, Brazil, the Netherlands, Argentina, Morocco, Portugal, and England, France. Um, if I just pick one, probably the French. Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously, I think everyone would love to see Morocco yeah. just because of the underdog yeah. story. That's who I'm going with. Uh, but if, if yeah, and I don't, I don't hate that. But if we're being realistic, I think I might go England. Yeah, I might go England. I've. I've become, through playing FIFA and, you know, being a Man City fan, just like you, I'm sure, I've become kind of friends on the internet with right a lot of guys that are yeah. from England that I think it would be cool. Like, they eat, eat, breathe, sleep, soccer, football. Yeah. It would be cool for them to get that. So well, and also uh, it would it would be kind of the most English thing ever for them to get it and get it in Qatar. Correct. <laughs> like, that's when they finally win it again. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, for me too, one of my just best friends in real life, he throws his lot in with England. So. Uh, it's not a hard thing for me. I'm just kind of rooting for, like, Morocco's a ton of fun, and we're going to get into that. This first segment, we're going to recap the round of 16 um, from the World Cup. We've got our U.S. men's national team kind of post-mortem, 10,000-foot view. What does this World Cup mean? What are the next steps going forward? That's going to be in our second segment, so you can stick around there. And then we'll have the mailbag and then the quarterfinal preview in segment number three. Yeah, so, get those mailbag questions in now at Soccer Show 1077. Yeah, at Soccer Show 1077 on Twitter. We've also got Twitch rolling, twitch.tv slash the franchise live for all of that. But um, let's as, talk quarterfinals. Yeah, as fun as Morocco would be, I think it'd be really cool for Brazil, Argentina, and then either England or France and Portugal on the other I mean, side, kind of be the meat of listen, the powers. If you're asking me what I would love to see, I'd love to see Messi v. Ronaldo in the finals. Yeah. If you could get Argentina, Portugal, that's the stuff dreams are made well, of. Unfortunately, we're only going to get 15 minutes of that, but that's, we'll get that, into that. That's true. But let me, uh, who'd you pick to win it? Uh, pick to win it, I had Belgium over Brazil in the final. I had, Brazil over, I had Brazil over Belgium, so at least I still have that going for me. Yeah. At least I still have that. All right, let's start. So we're going to get into the men's national team, the U.S. men's national team in the second segment. Yeah. And so let's start with that second game then from that first day. Yeah, so we've you, you pick that up, and you've got Argentina and Australia. There were a lot of American fans who had probably 
maybe tuned out a little bit of sadness. But this game was a lot more fun than I think any of us ha- had it being. Australia. Dude, Australia were fun this entire World yes. Cup to watch. They weren't boring at all. Well, and in the past, they kind of have been. Yeah, they've been in the past a team that is very content to drop nine guys behind the ball. Yep. Um, especially when they had Cahill up top. And Bang it, it up to Cahill, a, that's right. It plays some industrial football. I think that you're finally seeing, um, and this is something to stow away from the next segment, but in 2006, Australia made the big move from Oceania yep. to the Asian Federation, so they would play a lot better. And I think that you're finally seeing that development come through as top Dude, to bottom. Dude, the Asian Federation represented yes, at this World absolutely. Cup. Between Japan, Korea, and Australia, they definitely represented. So I, I, it was a ton of fun. there, And for that... Uh, Messi gets the the goal that just so unlikely, which is the magic of Messi mm-hmm. and what he has. But that that just total flurry of movement toward extra time or injury time, out of time, whatever you want to call it, uh, right there at the end of Australia, I was going, how did this thing not go to um, extra time? Because it should have been two two with all the chances Australia had right in front of goal. Yeah, I do. You find yourself pulling for Messi? No, I hate Messi. Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, Just because he's broken Chelsea's hearts? No, because of his petulant behavior in the 2012 semifinal. I got you. I got you. He was he was a bit of a of a whiny bag. Yeah, aren't all superstars a little bit though? Yeah, but how many how many guys when the referee so there's an injury, the referee does the hey I'm going to drop this ball to you, you kick it back to the goalie like he tells him that, and then Messi turns around and funnels it to his midfield so that Barcelona can recycle (laughs) possession just because they're losing. And at that point, I was like, I'm out. I hope you have nothing but pain and sadness. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand how that would be something you'd hold against him. But I, so you've always been, have you always been pro Ronaldo in the Messi Ronaldo debate? So uh, here's always what I think it's two different questions for me, two different answers. If you're asking me to build a team tomorrow to win a league, I give me Messi 100. percent But for but one game, but if you're asking me to go win a Champions League final tomorrow, who's the sure. first person I want out now? Not the Ronaldo the last three or four years, but when they were both in their prime, it was a, you you need a big match player for one game, give me Ronaldo. Yeah, that's 100% fair, and it's also very political by you. Thank you. That's You couldn't ride the fence anymore if you tried. I mean, I think that... No, I think that's a fair answer. I think Messi's that's the a better fair overall answer. player for all that stuff. It's just a, what what do you need him for right. if I'm going for a final tomorrow? And I think that's kind of the difference between those two guys. Sure, sure. I think I find myself pulling for Messi a little bit. And maybe I fell in love with Messi also a little because there was some Messi to City rumors. Yeah. So it kind of made me like think, oh, well, it's hey, great. There was the hot the Messi to City rumors, and there was the, well, Chelsea's an Adidas club, and Adidas wants Messi, right. their athlete, to be playing. So we'll just they'll just pay the whole transfer fee. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, neither one came true. Shocker, Correct. right? A transfer Stunning. rumor that didn't come true. No, I, I would... I've always been big Inter-Miami guys here. It's always been the one thing that Messi hasn't had, right, is international success. Did you happen to see the stat, though, that in Messi's entire career, between any any knockout competition he's been in, whether it's been uh, the Copa America or the World Cup or the Champions League, anything that's had a group play and then gone into knockout... He's never been eliminated in group stage ever. Right. Which is an amazing stat, no. right? I mean, it's pretty wild. Pretty wild. It, now, it, obviously, he's been on good teams. That yeah, helps. But That yeah. helps, but one bad season, one bad result, sure. injuries, stuff like that. That, sure. that shows you the player that he is. So, All right, let's get into that second day then. Yeah, the second day. day two, I, honestly, Todd, that Argentina-Australia game was fun, but it took us a couple of days to really yeah. crack any matchups. Day two kind of sucked, yeah, honestly. France-Poland. France wins 3-1. to one. Uh, the big story from from the France Poland match was 
Kylian Mbappe continues to just deliver. He's he's been the star of this World Cup for me. Um and I know that maybe that's not super fair to Neymar who got hurt, things like that. But Mbappe has delivered. And it was cool to see Olivier Giroud, um, a guy that's not really appreciated. Like when we talk about the great strikers in world football, how long will we have to go before someone brings up Giroud and you look up and he's passed Yari Henry for the all-time French goal scoring record. He was a key cog in that World Cup victory in 2018, despite the fact that he didn't score a goal. And now it's kind of coming back the other way because... You thought that he wasn't going to be a big part of this run with Kareem Benzema coming back into the national team setup. Benzema gets hurt, and now Giroud once again going out there delivering, doing all the dirty work so that Mbappe can kind of be the the luxuries showpiece underneath him. We kind of said coming into this thing that with France, it always seems to go very far one direction or the other, and it does seem like it's going in the positive direction this World Cup. They've been pretty pretty damn impressive from the get-go. It is worth noting, I think this is the first World Cup ever, if I saw right, where no team won all of their group stage games. Yeah. Like, nobody got nine points right. from group stage. So, even even France, as good as they have been, we have seen them look mortal at times. And that's a byproduct, I think, of two things. Number one, there's a lot more parity now, you know, just as far as across the world than there used to be in the past. Number two, this is also, as we've talked about, a World Cup that's, A, shoved in the middle of, an, of a domestic season, and B, yeah. shoved in a short time frame. So, it's understandable that teams wouldn't be as sharp. The best teams wouldn't be as sharp. And maybe a team really gets up for them and can get a point off of them. Yeah, so, and they've also had rotation, too. No doubt, no doubt. Like but I think, just in general, France have looked, not only have they looked good, but I think the best way I can describe it, Ryan, is they've looked very in control. Yes. Like, I don't know that I've watched France, against Poland especially, from the moment the ball was kicked off, I was like, yeah, France are going to win. France yeah. are gonna, and I never felt like Poland were ever threatening at all. I think it's really interesting. There are two teams for me, and they're going to be matched up in the quarters. Um, England-Senegal was the second game on Sunday. England cruises to a, a 3-0 win o- over the Senegalese. And for me, England and France are the two teams that look like they haven't broken a sweat. They haven't really expended a ton of effort. And maybe it's because we saw England get outplayed for spans against the U.S. when we were watching that game. But France and the star power they have is they they don't break a sweat and they still are you're in awe of how that team plays. A lot of that's Mbappe and, and the goals that he delivers. England, they haven't broken a sweat, but you, you don't have just Mbappe running through with these huge finishes. It's just very clinical, Ben, from, from England. And and so I'm looking forward to see both of these teams push each other in the quarter first. Well, the big countries that have gotten through, aside from Spain, obviously, who was upset by Morocco, but France, England, the Netherlands, uh, Brazil. One of the things that they all have in common, Ryan, is they didn't have to play that game, that match, in the middle of the group stage where it's like, you have to win. You've got to put your best 11 out there and run your ass off for 90 minutes. None of them had to do that. And we saw, I think, that eventually played out with the U.S. men's national team. What they had to do against England and Iran definitely hurt them against the Netherlands, I thought, on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that kind of... You saw a lot of these teams run out of gas a, a little bit here in... By the in way, the, I just want to point this 16. out. You mentioned England. The Raheem Sterling situation is incredibly sad. It yeah. sucks because they are having a great run. And like you ask who I'm pulling for, Raheem Sterling plays for Chelsea now. Yeah. He didn't have the greatest things to say about Manchester City when he left. You know, so I think a lot of City fans have a little hurt feelers about that. But he did great things at Manchester City. I've always appreciated him. I I think he's he gets a lot of stick for things that he shouldn't. And 
I kind of would like to see them win just for him. Right. You know, but, in a weird way. And, and if you missed it, he it, it was announced that he was out of the round of 16 for personal reasons. It later comes out that his home and his family were targeted for a burglary because everyone knew he wasn't there. His family was present, and so his family's terrorized in the middle of this burglary. So he's headed home, and he's basically like, I'm not leaving until I'm 100% sure that my family's safety right. and well-being can, can be taken care of. And I don't know if this is happening more frequently or if we just hear about it more because of social media and things like that. But this is, I talked about this with Chisholm, the thing that just irks me the most is like targeting these people because you know they're, just because you know Raheem Sterling's in Qatar. Right. His family might not be there. And right. It it just makes me sick, all, all that stuff. No, and I'm glad everyone's okay, yeah. um, most importantly. But, yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons also why I'm pulling for them. Okay, let's get into Monday, that was Sat or Sunday's yeah, action. Monday's when we it started getting juicy. We finally got one. Japan, Croatia. Croatia, if you were paying attention in 2018, made it all the way to the finish line, fell just short. It's the, the last ride for a lot of these guys, Modric, all that. But Japan is the one who comes out, gets on the board early, and makes Croatia take chase this game. The goal from Adia in the 43rd minute, just before halftime. Croatia flips that in the second half. Perisic gets out there in the 55th minute and levels this. This was a really fun matchup between two teams who are totally content to play without the ball and to do all of that work running off the ball, all that stuff. It goes to penalties. Lavakovic! And this is one of the worst penalty efforts I've ever yes, seen. Yes, it was from very anyone. bad. The, the Japanese could not buy a penalty. You know what it was? It was, uh, and we ended up seeing actually something maybe worse with Spain and Morocco. Yeah. yeah. But, but it reminded me of, and ironically, because Japan was involved in this too, when Japan and the U.S. women's national team were in that shootout the year where the women's national team missed three straight against yeah. Japan. Yeah. When Hope Solo was the keeper, and you feel really good about it, and then no one can score. Yeah, it's like doesn't matter how good yeah, Hope Solo. Exactly, is. exactly. It kind of reminded me of that a little bit. But yeah, uh, Lavakovic was the hero, a guy who plays his his football domestically in Croatia. Yeah, you know, I think that's a cool story for them and for their country. And the more we get to see of those kits, I'm okay with. Yeah, a hundred percent. And um, I, I think that just shows the psyche of a penalty shootout. Of if you don't get your first one in it can really affect not just the percentages or, hey, you're, you're shooting from behind the whole way, but you saw, like, I think the, was it the third miss was just one of the most poorly hit. You could tell that was, whoever hit it for Japan was terrified of just missing yeah. the goal and it right. ended up being the most saveable the softest, because yeah. it's just soft and awful. So, and that's the first game out of the gate, Croatia. Um, they're going to play a lot better than they did against yes. Japan because they got Brazil Coming up, Brazil have been, I think, the most thorough team at yes. this tournament so far. That they've been the team that have, you give them an inch, they've taken it a mile. They have pounced on every loose ball, and it's felt like that's what happened against South Korea. Brazil four one, a ton of dancing, a, a ton of samba soccer, which has been a ton, just fun to watch. But I, Louis Van Gaal came out and was critical of the coverage of Brazil because he said in this game he saw a counterattacking performance, and he's right. It wasn't like. Brazil early on had these huge 20 pass sequences. Right. It was poor play from South Korea and Brazil. They were just ruthless pouncing on it, whether it's for Carlson, Piatek, Neymar, obviously bearing the penalty. I love when it's these, you have to come in and play perfect. And that team, Brazil, big, bad Brazil in this scenario, of if you're rooting for the underdog, it is just so ruthless when that happens. Yeah, no doubt. I, I do want to point out this too. Um, 
it's worth noting because it has more than just World Cup ramifications, but Gabriel Jesus had surgery yeah. uh, on his knee, right? Wasn't on his knee. And yeah. he's out. The the What I saw was he's out multiple months. So he's going to be on the shelf for a while for Arsenal as well. That's worth noting. Um, yeah, you're right. It just has, I think ruthless is the best way of putting it, is what Brazil has been. And uh, it's we've had a quite the uh, spirited discussion in my uh, friendly text chat with our Spurs fan buddy yeah. about you have Richarlison and Kane. Why why are you guys scoring one goal a match sometimes? Wow. You know why are why are you having point eight six expected goals for an entire match? Why do you have forty percent possession against Brighton? Right? You know what I'm saying? It's Antonio Conte. Well. I know. I understand <laughs> that, and that's the frustrating part about it is I feel like I feel like uh, they have. Some uh, some toys that they're not really using up front, if you know what I mean. And but no, Richarlison has been great too. That's worth noting. I was gonna say he looks like someone that has been brought into this Brazil setup, and he's like, oh, we can actually express ourselves and right. play some attacking football instead of you must suffer without the ball. He seems to be really enjoying that, and uh, on his little triple header dump off, great ball, little Tiago Silva action is mm-hmm. the defender that. The 80-year-old defender is sitting at the top of the arc because that's how Brazil plays. He's sitting at the top of the arc just to play that bad boy in. That'll be a fun one as we know that Croatia is going to be a lot more organized than South Korea was. And then... Just a little quick reset. If you're listening, you're going, what are these guys talking about? We're the soccer show on 107.7 yes. The Franchise brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. One more set of the round of 16 to get to Tuesday. The big upset. Yesterday. Uh, that was yesterday, correct? It was, it was, yes. Morocco dumps Spain out yet again. I was talking to our boss, Buddy, about this game, and he agreed that if you ever get the, well, it's just a 0-0 game, nothing happens in soccer, this is boring. I would like to show you this Morocco and Spain match, which was back and forth. Yes, there were moments where Spain was doing the sideways passing. We've completed over 1,000 passes and didn't really get anything from it, but this game, when Morocco got out on the counter, it was open, it was lightning quick at both ends and in the end both sides were able to hold steady and it was Morocco and their star power that was able to fire through it was Bono it was in the goal dumping Spain out for the second straight World Cup the Spanish lose a penalty shootout in the round of 16 it was Russia four years ago and now Morocco who have a ton of fans packed in due to the regional ties Spain hating to play against uh, home crowds at World Cups. Yeah, and this was, I thought, a couple things on this. I tweeted this. I don't know if you saw this tweet or not, but this is what I love about soccer especially. The people of Morocco in their lifetimes will never see another generation of players come through like this. More than likely, right? Spain's going to reload. Spain will be good next World Cup. They'll be good in 2030. They'll be good in 2034. For Morocco, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment for yeah. everyone that's a citizen of their country right now. And I think it's cool to see them continue to go forward. Obviously, there's the story of being an African nation, right. making it to the quarterfinals as well. I don't think one's ever made it to the semis, right? Uh, I don't I don't think so. one's ever made it past the quarterfinals. So you throw that in there also. In fact, I think Ghana was the other team that made it when they beat the U.S. Right. Uh, you know, the, uh, the year of Algeria, right? That was yeah, 2010. Yeah, 2010, yeah. So there's a ton, there's a ton, obviously, to love about Morocco, but also... I, I think kind of like with Australia, if you just watch, they have a lot of not only talent, but they play a pretty fun style of football. 
Like, they're not boring at all to watch. Right. They didn't just pack it in against Spain. In fact, at times, it looked like they wanted to score goals more than Spain did. Yeah. No, and I think that's what you get when you have Hakimi and Hakim Ziyech yep. running down. And, and it's a team that knows we have quality, but we also have to ruthlessly, again, fight back to get that possession so that we can spring that quality loose. And it's a team with a ton of belief. So it'll be you fun to see. You know what it see. is? They're... They're like if you watch if you watch international basketball competitions, they're that team that has a roster and you go, oh man, they got a bunch of guys that I know. Right. I didn't realize all these guys were from Australia. You know, like Patty Mills or somebody. Yeah. They've got guys like the uh, you know like uh, Romain Sice, who's a guy. Right. Who's who's just a solid player that's played in big leagues in Europe. It's not that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. yeah. They've got their one or yeah. two names. Masrawi's another guy who plays. You know, in Europe, there are lots of guys. Amrabat, Amrabat's yeah. another guy who plays in Europe. So, and then the keeper, obviously Bono, who has the big saves in the penalty shootout. Uh, the keeper who is going to be heavily sought after in January, I would imagine. When you do something like that at the World Cup, that's the kind of bounce you get. Someone else who's going to be sought after in January. Can we introduce you to the tale of Gonzalo Ramos? <laughs> big drama before Portugal and Switzerland, as we have yet another. Cristiano Ronaldo not reacting great to a late substitution, yada, yada. Well, they just dropped him out of the starting lineup for a man who was making, I believe it was his fourth appearance ever for Portugal. All Ramos does is go out there and the mad lad bags a hat trick, is absolutely unplayable, and is a part of Portugal's 6-1 demolition of Switzerland in which the Portuguese look like a damn good team without Ronaldo yeah. in the fray early on. Yeah, they did. And I would say this, if Brazil's been the most thorough, I think as far as just on the attack, you have to put Portugal up there. Portugal leaked some goals in early. Uh, that first match, I think it was Cameroon, that they won 3-2. Obviously, South Korea get a couple of goals past them to advance into the knockout rounds. But Portugal just, I mean, they have a ton of attacking talent. And we see yes. the depth of it with Ronaldo being on the bench on uh, on Wednesday, or on Tuesday, I guess that was. So, yeah, I think the question is moving forward, like, be a be a ballsy move if they leave Ronaldo on the bench for the next round. But I I think the argument could be made, Ryan, that they did look better without him. It's just so unfortunate, too, because at, at a tournament like this, if Ronaldo could just buy into saying, you're going to come on for the last 30 minutes and you are going to be every bit of the Ronaldo that you've been running at a tired defense in a congested World Cup, put into the middle of the club season, all the things we've talked about for months and months and months, Ronaldo would be at unreal in that role. But he can't do it because that would be not befitting of the legend of Ronaldo and all that stuff. And so for Portugal, I think that it's just better not have to worry about it. We have, we've talked about this before, and I know we got to hit a break, but this is, my, I, this is one of my favorite things that, to mention when I talk about why I love soccer is basketball, and we're watching the Thunder right now. The NBA especially, it's a strong link sport. If you have the stars, you're going to win. In soccer, it's important to have the stars, but you have to have the guys around them that can feed them the ball. And for years, Ronaldo, because he's been a star, has been on the best team teams, which means that, that he's had the best players around him to feed him the ball. And as he has started to dip, he doesn't know how to be a giver and not a yeah. taker. Right, He doesn't know how to step in and be the guy that isn't the strongest link that just comes in and helps the team be better. 
all he's ever been told to do is just stand there and get goals for the most part, right? Yeah. And and when he's not doing that anymore, I think it's a tough it's it's a lot like Russell Westbrook. You know, when the ball's not in his hands all the time, it's it's not that he can't do it, it's just not what he's used to. Yeah. And he may not be wired to do it anymore. Well, we saw there was the moment that he put the ball in the back of the net was this huge run in. He knew he was offside, all that stuff. But again, he's a guy that if he comes in for the last 20 minutes, a tired defender, it doesn't matter who it is. If if we get Portugal, Brazil, Tiago Silva for the last 20 minutes of that game is going to be sitting there going, well, crap, if Ronaldo times this thing once, he's going to be in behind me. I can't run him down and he is going to finish it if he's in front of goal. And that's the impact he could have. And he has chosen not to have that, which right. is. And he, so, can ha- and he can have it so times 10 if he could do that in a sub role where he comes on with fresh legs. Yeah, in the European Championships that Portugal went and won, he was injured for a lot of that, and so people knew the score, and he was just trying. He was this exact role, but because he was injured, he embraced it, and he was a leader for that team, a leader for a really young Portuguese team. And now we're, what, six years on from that, just about? And it's totally different, and it's just it's just a shame. So that's Todd Lizabee. I'm Ryan Chapman. This is the soccer show here on 107.7 The Franchise, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. Maddie Goldfish hanging out with us on the other side of the glass. We're going to hit a break. When we get back, all U.S. all the time for this second segment. What did this World Cup mean for 2026? What are the next steps? What does the U.S. have to do over these next four years to win a knockout match or to make a bit of a run? We'll dive into all that next here on 107.7 The Bring Franchise. Bring back Greg! The Soccer Show is on Twitter. Give us a follow at Soccer Show 1077. Susie to take it. Welcome back to the Soccer Show, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic here on 107.7 The Franchise. I'm Ryan Chapman, joined as always by Todd Lizabee, Matt Branson, keeping us on air. The U.S., they stole your hearts. We, we saw that. We saw just an incredible reaction to this squad of players, though they were unable to steal a result against the Dutch. A 3-1, pretty thorough dismantling Louis van Gaal said, hey, Greg, I know you're a longtime admirer of me. What I'm going to get you is an ass whooping for your admiration. I feel like tactically we got outclassed. Yeah, that it was it outclassed, not in the same league at all. But but then like I'm saying that I'm saying that and I know we'll get into it. But Christian Pulisic takes that chance in like the fourth or fifth yeah, minute. It's, then it's probably a little bit different story. It's it's a lot different, but. Not taking chances, not being clinical enough in front of goal was kind of the U.S.'s story through the entire World Cup. Four That's games, kind of the point. three right? goals, not good enough. So as we go toward 2026, we've got the good, we've got the uncertain, and the bad. Kind of three things. So the good for me, this is something that I've talked about a ton, and that is so long in the U.S. national team setup, it feels like when we have breakthrough players in the World Cup, they're 28, 29, 30. And by the time that they're going to have a second World Cup experience, they're the old veteran that's not going to be able to play every single game. A large chunk of this team, very young. All the core players pretty much outside of Tim Ream going to be under 27 in the outfield at, at the next World Cup. So, so that's the good part. The question then becomes, Todd, what can the U.S. do over the next four years to continue to improve? If we could find a striker, that'd be awesome. But at the bigger level, 
we are already qualified for the World Cup, which means that we will play worse matches because we're not having to go through qualification. So the U.S. has to work overtime to make sure that we are continuing to test ourselves on the world stage between now and 2026. Yeah, and part of that is something that we're going to talk about right now because we've had this text conversation. One of the things is get in the Copa America, right? Play in the Copa America, play in as many tournaments as you can. And for those that aren't familiar, the Copa America is a tournament that's in South America. It's made up of yeah. CONMEBOL teams. CONMEBOL is what CONCACAF is for us. Right. Just for those not Brazil, familiar with CONCACAF. Argentina. Yeah. For those not familiar with CONCACAF, it's basically like, you know, it's our region, which is Central, Northern, Northern America, and North America and Central America. Uh, CONMEBOL is South America. And CONMEBOL doesn't have... What's he got? Fourteen teams, I think. Yeah, it's it's not a ton. It's not sixteen though, and they need yeah. sixteen to play the Copa America. So every year they invite a couple of invitational teams, right? Mexico has played in it multiple times. The U.S. has played in it before, but the U.S. and Canada are looking to get into that, and that I think would be huge for us. Um, it is it is going to be very intriguing to watch how we do set up the next four years just as far as preparation and in, in in scheduling and you know i'm a scheduling nerd right in every sport so i'm i'm fascinated to see that but also just in general you know who who are the jimmies and joes going to be as well i think that's an important question also so real quick on copa america 2024 this report came from diego montavan who works for telemundo sports espn fc espn deportes it's a four-year deal too right like the euros yeah that's what i thought um U.S., Mexico, and Canada have all agreed to play in Copa America 2024. There will be three other nations from CONCACAF that get invites. They're going to blow the tournament up, expand the field a little bit. Gotcha. And per Diego's... Probably like Costa Rica, Honduras, or something like that. Per Diego's report, Ecuador is resigning as the host country, and the U.S. is gunning to host. Do you think that's a good idea for the U.S.? Because there's two ways to look at this. First off, in 2026, the U.S. is going to be the host nation, one of the host nations, so they're going to have to deal with the pressure from their own fans. Mm -hmm. On the other way to look at that, though, is I would rather the U.S. get bled in South America, play in Copa America, be on the road, be in a hostile environment, those experiences to me are almost more important so that when you come back home, just because it's going to be a different level of pressure in the States for the World Cup, the Copa America is not going to be able to to compare to that home pressure that, that you feel. Yeah. So help me out with this because my understanding is, and and truthfully in my lifetime, the teams since I've really followed soccer, the countries that have hosted South Africa, Russia, uh, Brazil, obviously, in 14, but South Africa, Russia, and Qatar, all countries that, you know, I really never paid that much attention to in qualifying anyway. Right. So are you telling me we don't have to do any of the qualifying? Correct. Okay, because I thought we still went through the qualifying. So that, but that, just, but just if we didn't, if we weren't in a spot, we would take somebody else's. No, one of the, the struggles that Russia had is, basically, because they didn't play a schedule. Yeah, they, they, okay. were, they were having to, so when, you have the big pool of teams, then you have the first round of cuts. They're having to schedule a ton of friendlies against the teams that are no longer in World Cup qualifying, which means that you're playing teams that are not going to the World Cup sure. that are below. Sure. Well, and the, listen, that makes it hard to find teams to play because yeah. when we would usually be playing a World Cup qualifying match, a lot of times all of Europe is also playing a World Cup qualifying match, right? So it's going to be hard, and that's why I think it's important to get into as many of these events as you can. Yeah. Um. And, and in fact, like – 
honestly, if I'm the U.S. men's national team, I look at, you know how we have like the She Believes Cup? Yes. Put together an event like that. Yeah. Put together a little four-team event. Get, you know, get France, get... And who cares if France brings their second team? Right. Like, that's going to be a good warm-up for you. Get, you know, get Australia over here. Somebody like that. I think that would be good for us to do as much as possible. The U.S. needs to be hyper-aggressive, and they have to take advantage of every friendly window they have between now and the 2026 World Cup because those are the times, too, when other nations aren't in qualifying. Right. And whatever you have to pay to get people to come across the pond and and come play, even though usually that's where you kind of build confidence, all that stuff, the U.S. has to, has to continue to test themselves because we've got a lot of growth to do to take that step from a fun team who's frisky and it's someone that you don't necessarily want to draw into someone that can actually compete. I, I... Understand what you're saying about liking the idea of going to South America and really kind of being put to the sword a little bit. But I also think that it would be great, A, for our country to host that event as yeah. a little warm-up for everybody. Like, hey, this is what you're going to see. Hey, ain't no Confederations Cup rolling around it's, in 2025. Especially it would be a huge boost if we went and did well at it. Yes. Right? That's number one. And then number two, like, I I think it's, it's going to be good for the United States men's national team to feel the pressure playing in front of their own fans. Yeah. Cause that's what they're going to be doing at the world cup as well. Now, the other question, the kind of really $64,000 question is who leads the men's national team in 2026. Yeah. You've seen, um, Greg Burhalter was non-committal. He said that he wanted to kind of, he's been in such world cup mode that he wanted to go back and, and think about it for a bit. U S soccer has been non-committal. They said part of their process at the end of every world cup is to, review everything that happened and qualifying all the way through. I, I've seen this has been very popular on U.S. soccer Twitter. And um, I agree with this is when you look at the recent history, the, the modern era of the program, Bruce Arena in 2002 had a really great showing the Dosa Cero in, in the in the round of 16 to get to the quarters, right. all that. The 2006 cycle did not live up to what, to what happened in 2002. Jurgen Klinsmann. Encouraging and that was Bruce Arena's second yeah, cycle. That was Bruce Arena's yes. second World yes. Cup cycle. Same manager, back to back World Cup cycles. Jurgen Klinsmann, 2014. Uh, he was a catalyst of a lot of change in the U.S. soccer setup and all that. He was often at war with U.S. soccer, it almost felt like. But 2014. I saw somebody point out they ran through qualifying easily in yeah, 2014. Ran through qualifying easily in 2014. I would say that tournament was a success going toe to toe with Belgium and, and probably having a one Wondolowski goal away from should have beat Belgium and been well, through. Also, Tim Howard stood on his head about 12 times. That, that helps. helps too. <laughs> that always helps. Shout out Matt Turner as well. But he obviously didn't even make it through a second cycle because the right. start to qualifying in 2018 was so awful that Bruce Arena couldn't come in and mop it up. Sure. So. I think historically strong, the second term has not yeah, been good. Strong and I heard Alexi Lawless say this, and I, I I struggle a lot of times to say this this next statement. I agree with Lexi Lawless on this one. Matt clipped that. Very very rare that I'm saying that, but I agree with Lexi Lawless on this one. The men's national team job, especially in a country like the United States, should be a four year term. Is yeah. what it should be. You should take over right about now. And you should have four years. And at the end of that four years, you should get a shake of the hand. Thank you for your service. And a new person should come in with the new vision. Because like you said, historically, it has not gone well. Now, now Landon Donovan made the point on the Fox coverage that this is a little bit different because you're talking about the youngest team ever. 
Right. And that this is a team that you did see grow at this World Cup. But my my also response to that is part of the reason why they quote unquote grew at this World Cup is because they underachieved leading up to the World Cup. You yeah. see what I'm saying? So well, they, and they they had to not just that, they grew at the World Cup because they underachieved in the second half against Wales. Right. Right. And, and then they they learned how to hold on for dear life against Iran in, in the second half of that final group stage game, but someone who wouldn't have let that team sink so deep and maybe they get a 1-0 win, maybe a 2-0 win against Wales. There's not this growth that we're seeing. It's a, oh, they came to play. Sure. And I just think too that Who do you who would you like to see? Give me some names. It so it's really tough. There's it feels like this is just throwing crap at the wall, but um Men and Blazers throughout Pochettino. I don't know if that's like a, a hope and a dream or if he's someone that's actually inter- interested in international management, but Joachim Lau had a ton of success with Germany. You saw that. He can eat through. all the boogers he wants. He can. Uh, Didier Deschamps <laughs> is a name that Zendane's expected to take over the French team after that. Luis Enrique, if, right. if Spain, another crash out. About, uh, let me throw a name at you. Tata Martino. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yes. kidding. I'm yes. just kidding. I, just, I think that this team, yes, it's so young. But part of the growth process is Greg Berhalter was a great guy to come in and say, I'm the new face. I can totally shun whoever I need to to, to cycle them out of the, the U.S. soccer setup, and I can just go young. And you, you knew that was the, the process. And you saw what happened and how well the team played. In the end against the Dutch, we got tactically whipped left, right, and center all over the field. We need to level up. As this team grows, you don't need guy that's coming in, okay, a good environment. He's reset the environment. It looks like this locker room is as close as it's been. That's going to continue with the leaders in that locker room. Now you need to level up. You need to bring in a, a higher quality, higher caliber manager who can lift tactically what this team is going to be in 2026. Well, one of the things Lala said is where he said he thinks it should be a four-year term. He said, but at the same time, I also think Lala said that Burhalter, he has done things he's done at clubs he's been at in the past, which is really get them to rally around this kind of everyone has each other's back. And you saw that playing out at the World Cup. I guess my response to that would be, yeah, man, that's all well and good, but anytime you have any coach in any sport at any level that comes in and is really in your ear about culture, 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 Unless you are winning at the highest level, that that message gets old, right? And over the course of the next four years, I would imagine that would get old. So I think it is time to move on. Aside from just honestly not, I don't think Greg Berhalter is a terrible coach or a terrible manager. I don't. I I think that he got this team about as far as he could probably get them, right? And I think if they're going to take that next step, I think they need somebody who's a little quicker decision-making than he is. And who is a new message for, let's be honest, Ryan, this is another thing, too, that I think has to be pointed out. Everyone talks about he should he should be able to see this group go all the way through. You and I took messages different at 21 than we did at 25. Yeah. Right? And so it's going to be guys that are four years older in 2026. His message now may not work with them when they've had four years in Europe making millions of dollars. Right. So I think that's... Those are those are my reasons why they need to move on. End of TED Talk. Yeah, it's Todd Talk. Growth, sorry. yeah, growth is a process, and there's nothing wrong with coming in and uh, getting some new ideas and fine tuning this thing as you head into 2026, where there's going to be all that expectation. So it's going to be fascinating to watch all that roll in here over the next couple of years. Before we hit a break, I just want to throw this out there. We had mentioned it last week. 
Unfortunately, Mid America Christian, Oklahoma Wesleyan, uh, Mid America Christian men's team, Oklahoma Wesleyan women's team, they lost out in the quarterfinals of the NAI national tournaments. Both had incredible seasons. Both got to the national tournament. Both got first round buys. Uh, but unfortunately, both of them lost in the quarterfinals. I think both were 2 1 losses as well. So congratulations to them. I know uh, for Mid America, like, I think this is the first time in school history they had hosted. Yeah. Uh, I say, did I say NCAA, but I meant NAI if I did. But NA, they had hosted NAI tournament games. So really good uh, seasons for both of them. And then obviously Oklahoma Wesleyan uh, up in Bartlesville had a great season as well. So congrats to both of them for uh, their quarterfinal runs. And that's kind of a wrap on local college soccer. For a little bit. Here for, yeah, 2022. Yeah, absolutely. This is the have soccer High school show. soccer in a few months. Yeah, high huh? school soccer, get it going. We'll have some some local leagues that aren't the collegiate ranks. Before you know it, we'll have Oklahoma City FC playing yeah, again. It'll be up and running, and, and we'll be in the thick of it once again. This is the soccer show here on 107.7 The Franchise, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. That's Todd. I'm Ryan. Matt on the other side of the glass. Very light mailbag so far. So you still have plenty of time at Soccer Show 107.7 on Twitter if you have any questions. Also, twitch.tv slash the franchise live. You can fire that in there as well. No worries, though. If there aren't any mailbag questions, we'll happy to answer anything from the World Cup soccer at large. But we will hit the quarterfinals of the World Cup pretty hard. Preview that here on the other side. One segment left here, the soccer show on the franchise. You're listening to the soccer show brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic on 1077 The Franchise. Winalda. Oh, it's in! America have equalized! It's Eric Winalda for the States, and it was a replica. Miola will be relieved now. It was a replica of the goal he conceded, really. A curl free kick, and Bascalo, his left shaking his head in despair. Eric Winalda, who plays in Germany, brings 77,000 people. To life in the Silverdome. The Silverdome. That great footballing stadium, the Silverdome. We are a very pro Silverdome (laughs) show here on the Soccer Show, brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic. It's mailbag time, Toddy. Ryan Chapman alongside Todd Lesby, Matt Colbranson on the other side. If you've missed any of the show, don't worry. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, look up The Soccer Show. It's there. Head to our Twitter at Soccer Show 1077. All the links are posted there, as well as the franchise OK.com. We got three in the bag, three in the holster, in the mailbag. Still time to send that in. We'll start on Twitch, though. Matt's our Twitch liaison. Can we please see what we have in the chat? As I have to get super close to the screen. Man, I need new glasses so bad. <laughs> uh, this is from... Uh, Palsy 15, I'm going to say. I have Argentina in my work winner-take-all pool. Realistically, what are their chances? One and eight. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Very good. I think they're good. Yeah, I think they're good. I think they've got one of the better matchups. Although I do think, you know, I say I have they have one of the better matchups. I think they're more talented than the Netherlands. I, you know, we, we saw what the Netherlands did against the United States men's national team, which is let them come on to the Netherlands and then hit on the counter attack. They're going to do the same thing against Argentina. You'd think, right? Yeah. And, and if there's one thing Argentina aren't great at, it's at the back. Right. Right. So if the Netherlands can hit them out on a counter attack or two or two, I mean, and then once you get past this round, it's basically a a coin flip. 
Yeah, it's he, who's better on on that given day, yeah. right? Here's the biggest thing for Argentina, and this is what we talked about the U.S. Uh, when you look at, there's two teams left, Croatia and Morocco. Every time they step foot on the field, they're going to be the least talented team. And knockout soccer is very random, but that is the one thing that can kind of stack the deck against you because right now there is no like half of death and, and half of life in, in the draw. It's very spread out as far as where the powers all are. So with Argentina, you're on any given day going to have the best player or the potential to have the best player on the field. And it's going to be very, you're not going to be buried under talent. So Argentina's sure. got a great shot as anybody, but the way this bracket has worked out where if you're Portugal, okay, you're like, okay, we've got Morocco. That's one of the easier draws as far as teams you can still have. Oh, you have to mow through England or France, and then you'll have to play either Croatia, Brazil, Netherlands, or Argentina to win the whole thing. And that's right. the easiest draw, right? which is not yeah. an easy path. Yeah. I mean, you, you have a shot, though, which is better than the guy that got Germany or Spain or the U.S. Yeah. Or one of those For countries sure. in uh, in your uh, pool, so... Carrying yeah, on with the mailbag, you said you had a question. Yeah, I got a buddy of mine that texted me. Chris wants to know, um, I don't have it pulled up, but I'll paraphrase. Basically, has anything at the World Cup happened that changes your outlook on the Premier League once we get back to it? I think the the layup there is the Gabby Jesus injury mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier. You, you look at what he's meant to Arsenal in that attack. It, it's not been a one-man show by any means, but... I think my answer, Ryan, is I I have no freaking clue what these guys are going to come back from the World Cup like because we've literally never seen this before, right? Yeah. Like I, some of these guys may come back. Like we we jokingly said, oh, Erling Holland's going to be rested. He may come back and look rusty, and some of these guys look sharp. Some of these guys may come back and immediately get injured because they were playing at the World Cup or need a break or two. You know, I really don't know what it looks like. I don't know if what Richarlison is doing is going to transfer back to Spurs because we've never seen a team leave the World Cup and then possibly three days later go right back into right. league play or into, I guess, that would be the EFL Cup or whatever, so the League Cup. So I I really don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I think just common sense would tell you that the team that at the top that has the highest end players that are getting rest right now is honestly it's probably Man City. Between Holland, Kevin De Bruyne is out. Yeah. Gundawan's out. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then they're, honestly they're, some of the players that they needed to get some form are getting it. Grealish is playing well. Yeah. Nathan Ake's playing well for the Netherlands as well. So like I think honestly I for for as a Man City fan World Cup's going pretty damn great for me right now. I'm loving it. Yeah, and you're just looking as far as the major injuries. It's been, unfortunately, Arsenal with the with the Jesus yeah. thing. So when you look at a, a title fight, two teams that are maybe potentially have uh, still a lot of soccer to be played, but potentially two different directions as far as their reaction to how isn't, the World Cup went. Isn't the first league day back Boxing Day? Yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be the final. ugliest Boxing Day World Cup final on the seen. 18th. Everybody else, good luck. Uh-huh. Have fun. Last one from Matt on Twitter. Every World Cup, it feels like we have that darling that gets a huge transfer, right? James Rodriguez uh-huh. in 2014. Who is uh-huh. that guy for you coming out of this World Cup? I mean, I think the obvious answer is Gakpo. Yeah. With the Netherlands. Uh because he was talked about a little before the World Cup. Jesse Marsh was on Men and Blazers at the Leeds manager, and he was saying how Leeds pushed really hard to get Gakpo in the last transfer window, and now he's like, and... Yeah, and now we're not Now doing there's that. a lot yeah. of people yeah. pushing. Man United, uh, 
is the one that most heavily. I mean, I'll give you another name. You're wearing his jersey right now. You're wearing the kit. Eunice Moose has been linked with Liverpool. I I do think there are a lot of those and Chelsea. Nice of you to to lump that in there. I think there are some of those men's national team players. Like I think Tyler Adams is going to get a look at a bigger club than Leeds at some point. Yeah. Um, Eunice Musa, I thought had a great World Cup. I could definitely see how somebody and like I hate saying this, but I could totally see him at Liverpool with what he does Absolutely. and what they do. Like I think he fits in perfectly with what Klopp does. So um, I those are a couple names. I'm trying to what, think of who one else. One that I'm looking at is, and I know it's prisoner of the moment, but the World Cup and, and guys like that are prisoner of the moment. Ramos. Ramos, you come in, you yeah. have a hat trick. You've been on fire at Benfica and. What is the hardest position to nail down a true goal scorer? If someone can come in and they're like, hey, we're going to roll the dice. Someone that may have cost 30 million pounds, 40 million pounds. If we have to pay 50 for the chance that he pans out and the 21 year old can be your striker of the future. I think people are going to be all over it. Or Bono from Morocco. Yeah, Bono's another one as well. Uh, is it Bono or Bono? I, I was listening without I always, the I always heard Bono, Bono, I think is what I'd heard. But uh, so on FIFA... His name is spelled B-O-U-N-O-U. Right. But then on his kit, it was spelled B-O-N-O. So I don't know. I really have no idea. Yeah. Well, I'm just calling him Bono because I think it sounds kind of cool. Sounds going to kick ass, obvious. Honestly, if, if I was named Bono, I'd are be you, going by it all the time. Are you saying that he performed in the World Cup with or without use? You? <laughs> That's, you know what? <sighs> I think we ended on that note. Look, it's the soccer show. Look, and someone that's just 26, I deserve that, some more credit. That was uh, that was very well done. That was very, very bad. Very well done. Okay, real quick. We've got four quarterfinals here. Croatia, Brazil, Netherlands, Argentina, Morocco, Portugal, England, France. Just the quarterfinals, not making grand predictions. What game do you think is going to be the best game out of this group? And are there any ones that you're kind of like, I hope that this is fun, but I just don't see it. Um, I think England-France is going to be the best game yeah. out of the group. Uh, two countries that, I mean, historically are very familiar with each other. <laughs> you don't and, say. And, uh, you know, soccer-wise are also very familiar with each other. I think that's going to be the best match. Um, I'll tell you the one that I think could get sneaky good is Brazil-Croatia. Really? I, I, I think that could get sneaky good because I think Croatia are... First off, I don't think Croatia are going to make the mistakes in midfield that are going to be punished by Brazil Yeah, like we saw Poland make, right? So yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue, and I think they're better at the back end than Poland. So I... I think Croatia are going to have a hard time scoring a goal. Don't get me wrong. But if they could, like, nick a goal from a set piece or something and get one early, especially if they can get one early, I think that one could be interesting. I'm pretty you think op- Morocco? I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to get three good games. Okay. I think that Netherlands-Argentina is going to be a ton of fun for tactics. It may not look the prettiest because I think Netherlands right. are going to kind of pack it in a little bit. But I It'll think be a chess match it's going to be fascinating. Sure. England-France, stoked. Morocco and Portugal, I think that the way that Morocco play and the way that they kind of run off the ball and how well drilled they are, I, I think that could be... I'm not picking Morocco to win. I hope they do. I think it would be a ton of fun. I just... I'm worried that Croatia has spent three straight games from Belgium to the uh, Japan game and now into Brazil. Just being out of gas. They've had to chase the ball Yeah, no lot. doubt. And I think that Brazil can kind of... Uh, express themselves and, and 
I think that one has the potential to get the ugliest if things don't I would, go right I've, for Croatia. No, I think that's a fair thing, and I might even agree with that, but at the same time, I also think it could be interesting. Yes. If that makes any sense. And I think that's kind of the beauty of soccer, just in general. Yeah. Is if is if one thing happens early, it changes the entire match. Yeah. Right? Sure. That's That's one of the things that I think some people hate about soccer is that if there's an early goal, a team packs it in. But... Also, it's what you love about it because then it changes the entire setting of the match. And then if there's another goal, it changes again. And everyone's got to reset and everyone's uh, expectations change. And, I, you know, it's not a back and forth, back and forth like in basketball or like in football. It does take some time. And there is a very long buildup to usually a big moment. And if that big moment happens early for Croatia, the longer... The longer you're able to hold off after you have that moment, the more the pressure builds. And like I could see in this World Cup setting, the pressure building on Brazil and that being like a classic Croatia's got 10 in the box. Oh, Brazil, yes, yes. That's what I'm that's when I say I think that could be a fun one to watch. I think we could see that like for the last 15 minutes of the match. Well, and just more substitutions available available to you also means that the teams like Brazil, the teams like Argentina. England and France, they can change the game pretty quickly if they need to. So that's why Morocco needs to get out and get an early goal. Croatia needs to get out and get an early goal. The Netherlands, they have a ton of depth at the back, really. Defensively, they got a ton of that depth. If they go out and get an early goal, then it's the teams that have the depth, your Brazils, your Frances, your Argentines, your Portugals, that have to adjust, and that is what makes it a ton of fun with right. that chess match. I'm stoked. we got to make it through one more day, everybody. Thursday, another day off, and then Friday, we're back. Six more match days of this World Cup. It's going to be gone before you know it. A couple of things. Number one, want to remind you that following the conclusion of this Thunder Grizzlies game, which is about seven and a half minutes to go, Thunder down 104.90 right now. But following the conclusion of that, we will have Thunder post game. Josh Conant's going to be in here. Uh, Drake Vitito. Uh, who else is here? Matt Burton. Matt Burton's here as well. Can't forget about Matty Burts. We were talking about Ronaldo earlier. He's a big man, United guy. Uh, but also want to. Uh, thank the U.S. Army for their sponsorship of the World Cup. Just let me ask you a question, Ryan. What do you want most from your career? How do these things sound? Stability? Yeah, sign me up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Greg Berhalter doesn't have that right now, but <laughs> stability, a great salary. Yeah, hell yeah. We'll take that. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is really about to that. get that. Uh, what about paid training and mentorship? Yes, Eunice Moose is getting that right now. Yes. Cameron Carter-Vickers getting it from Tim Ream right now. Uh, or the ability to rise... To the top of your field on merit alone, unlike Jordan P. Folk. Unlike Jordan P. Folk. <laughs> who, who had the merit but didn't get called up for the World Cup. Listen, if any of those sound good to you, you don't have to have just one of them. You can have all of them with the U.S. Army. So go check them out at GoArmy.com. We want to thank them for their sponsorship of the World Cup here on 1077 The Franchise. As always, if you missed any of the show, like we said, The Franchise OK, it'll be up there. It'll also be on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search The Soccer Show. It's there. Or go to our Twitter, Soccer Show 1077 for all of the links. Until next Wednesday, for Todd Lisenby, for Matt Goldbrenton, I'm Ryan Chapman. This has been The Soccer Show brought to you by Oklahoma City FC and the Broadway Clinic.